0: For tuning in to Mystic Witch. I'm your host, Blue. You can find out more about me at BlueJuneTarot.com. Mystic Witch is a podcast about magic, divination, and all things supernatural. witches dr jen Sart is our guest today she is an author publisher alchemist artist poet and teacher of cultural astronomy and astrology who has been practicing astrology since 1998 she is the founder of revelor press creator director of sophia center press and editor at the mountain astrologer She has taught and lectured domestically and internationally, Canada, the UK, Germany, and at one point traveled to four continents in a single year. She is currently based out of Seattle, Washington, and every time we speak, I have the time of my life. Welcome, Jen. How are you doing today?
1: Hi, thank you for having me. I'm doing quite well. It's pretty early in the morning, but it feels good. It's like eight a.m. there. Thank you so much for
0: making time for us. Yeah. So you, you've been working on some alchemical
1: and astrological talismans. Yeah. Can you tell us more about those. Sure. Um. So, the thing that got it all started was actually oil of egg. I was taking a workshop called Secunda with Robert Allen Bartlett in Washington State, and he was teaching the Animal Path of Alchemy. So that's what the second class in his three-class series is about, and. Um, Oil of egg is this distillation of uh, the effective healing properties of the yolk of an egg. And I got very attracted to that process because I have a condition in my own astrological chart of having some skin issues. I have psoriasis. That started when I was about 30, and I thought to myself, you know, I can make my own medicine. I can actually use this with astrological timing to create the potent uh, topical uh, healing for this. So I began to make it by myself for myself, um, about I would say three or four years ago. And then slowly people got interested in it. And so then it just kind of snowballed and it became the catalyst for experimenting with other oils and, um, making spagyric tinctures. Cause that was the prima. I did secunda first and then I did prima with Robert. Um, and so I learned how to make a spagyric tincture and that led to making a, a mugwort tincture for dreaming, lucid dreaming, um, and then it kind of, sort of snowballed from there. And it, it seems like any sort of planetary remediation or transit that interests me bubbles up, and I think to myself, like, what can I make out of that? What can I? How can I capture this? Um, and part of that experimentation actually arises from having made oil of eggs so many times. I've tracked. It's a solar medicine, so I've tracked, okay, the sun's in Leo, how is the oil of egg? The sun is now in Virgo, how is it in this way? And so month after month or week after week, just tracking where the different planets are in the rulerships, I've been able to sort of notice the quality of the material shifting. And if you think about it from a materialist standpoint, like a scientific standpoint, The chickens were eating different bugs at that time of year. And so then they were laying certain eggs at that time of year. Eggs like this in the wintertime have a certain quality that they don't have in the summertime. So it's like you can actually see the whole entire long tail of the production process. How And how that shifts. And what I found for the oil of egg specifically is that having the sun in Aries or Leo, which you'd think because of essential dignity is a good thing, doesn't actually have a measurable effect on the improvement of the quality of the oil of egg as much as making sure that the sun is connected somehow to Saturn. Because skin is Saturn it's the limit between the inside and the outside and of the solar system, but also our bodies, you know, um, it's not just the skeleton and the bone, but it's also that, that, that border between me and you, right. Me and the rest of the world. So, um, using oil of egg as a skin healing property specifically needs to invoke Saturn in some way. So I found like sun in Capricorn is amazing, for making oil of egg um, and having Saturn B now in Capricorn has been phenomenal for that process. Interesting. So what are you working on now? I actually just wrapped up two things. So again, with the oil of egg experiments, I am blown away by this one batch. It was, I, I have this other aspect of capturing the shells of the eggs too, and you can make cascarilla with it, but you can also make um, paint. And so the color of The green eggs that come from the black and white chickens is Mm -hmm. really like my jam. It's celadon green. So I got this batch of celadon green eggs, and the yolks were super dark. And so when I processed the oil, it came out really, really red. And there wasn't like a self-conscious, like astrologically timed Mars thing about it, but it just was screaming at me like Mars. I'm like, man, these chickens must have been angry or something. Like (laughs) I have no idea why. And I was like, is this just a part of the process and it'll get filtered out? You know, maybe that's an animal protein and it's not going to be, you know, that color in the final process. Cause most of the time when you make oil of egg, it comes out this standard yellow color. Mm-hmm. But no, this one, it not only stayed red, but it stayed stinky in this really weird way, which is like <laughs> Mars is kind of putrid in this, is sharply putrid and Saturn as well. So when people are making planetary incense, it's like, it's not about smelling good. You know, you want to make sure it smells like the planet. Um, and so this is definitely a martial oil and it's dark red. So I filtered it and I filtered it and I filtered it and it's still red. And so... Wow. There was a lot of product loss in the process and a lot of, I don't know, it was just a very strange batch, right? And like, it was nothing different than any other time, you know, boil the eggs, start processing them the same exact way. And yet this one batch like had this vibe about it. Um, the only thing that might've been different is where I got them from. So usually I use eggs from a certain supplier and this was from a different supplier because I wanted those green eggs, right? Oh, the green better. shells. So I'm <laughs> like, well, where the, what happened to that batch of eggs on its way from wherever it came from to me? So <laughs> I still have the shells actually to make paint with them. And um, yeah, so this is the strange Marshall batch of oil of egg. And it took a while cause I wasn't quite sure about it. And I'm like, it's definitely not for topical use this one is mostly i would only use it to anoint sigils or candles and do anything that you wanted to combine the solar medicine that oil of egg just is it's a little <laughs> weird like and it's not stinky in a kind of like rotting kind of way it's Yeah just how would you describe hundreds. the smell of mars how do you describe that i mean this oil is it's on the verge of smelling like it's got, it's pungent. It's just something you wouldn't want to wear. It's like, it, you wouldn't smell like a rotten egg, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it wouldn't be good either, right? It's like, it's just like a weird funk, you know, like a yeah. funky, pungent, like, Whoa, what's that? You know, it, and it's disturbing in the same way that Mars is mildly disturbing, right? <laughs> uh, Saturn is like a slam a door in your face. No, and Mars is kind of like a, you know, poke your shoulder like, hey, 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 hey. What about now? Hey, hey. <laughs> You know, like, stop it. (laughs) Um, And then the other thing that I had made just before that, which I was really spending a lot of energy on, and I have some stuff coming up, too, that I'm in the process of working on, so I want to talk about that as well. But um, I made, so in my natal chart, I have a Saturn-Pluto conjunction. A lot of people born 1982, 1983 have this in their charts, and um, there was all of this discussion leading up to this latest Saturn-Pluto conjunction of the doom and gloom, like, oh, no, we're going to have these, like, insane transformations. And it's like, you know, the end, the world is coming to an end. The sky is falling. Everybody watch out, you know, Saturn and Pluto are going to conjoin. And I'm thinking to myself, well, reading all these transit forecasts about that horrible upcoming transit kind of feels like shit when you have it in your natal chart. So it's mm-hmm. a little bit like, let's be a little more self-conscious about how we talk about the astral weather, because people sometimes have these configurations in their chart and, I've been around astrology long enough to like not take it personally, but you never know who's listening and and how they're going to, you know, handle hearing that, you know, there's this doom and gloom transit on the horizon. So I thought to myself, you know, well, I will make an oil that will capture the, the best possible qualities of that. Um, unleashing of energy, right? So when I learned about the Saturn-Pluto conjunction in my own chart as a process of becoming an astrologer, you know, you spend a lot of time looking at your own chart before you branch out into doing charts for others. And, you know, it's just kind of one of those learning tools. And then now I've spent almost two and a half decades looking at my chart. Um, The first thing that came up looking at the Saturn-Pluto is that when Saturn finally came to the degree of the Zodiac where Pluto was found in 1945, we, the United States, dropped an atomic bomb on Japan. And so you can imagine that energetics of Saturn coming to the discovery degree of Pluto, unleashing this power. So you see this, like, immense re- world-shaping power coming out of that. And and someone who lives with it as a natal phenomenon, there are times where I'm so determined to make something happen, it's almost like everything else stops existing and I'm, like, 100% invested in making my goal come to fruit. And that ended up working out in my actual life uh, as I was, you know, incorporating Trinitite, which was from the, ato- the first atomic blast, um, that created fused sand. It's like a new material that didn't exist before we set off this atomic reaction in the desert. Whoa. Um, and it's, it's sort slightly rea- radioactive. So the, the oil, um, has the mother bottle has a piece of trinitite in it. And so there's an energetics of trinitite throughout it, but it's, I'm not like distributing radiation. Um, Whoa. and there's uh, a number of other components inside the oil that capture this, um, immense power of manifestation, right? Like you have something from nothing. You have this immense amount of energy created from the smallest bit of nothing, you know, and it's just unleashing this power into the world to shape things. And another person who has Saturn and Pluto in their chart is Jack Parsons, who created rocket fuel. So he invented an improvement on rocket fuel, which I think is another good metaphor for like what this planetary configuration can do. And as I was making the um, oil, I was also pregnant and experiencing a difficult pregnancy to the point where as the date approached of the conjunction, I went into labor. Um, I had to have a C-section because of a life-threatening condition in my pregnancy. So there was a time at which both of us could have died. And then there was a time at which I could have died, but she would have been able to be saved. And then at some point the doctors and I all decided it came to a crisis in the solstice timing. And so I ended up having a C-section and then we spent two and a half weeks in the NICU together. And it was like this weird inversion, right? So it's like, you know, Saturn and Pluto manifestation. Now I have this human being coming out of my own body. And she looked exactly like I did as a baby, like when she was born. And even now she does, she looks like a spitting image of how I looked when I was a baby. So there's this weird mirroring, but this shrinking, like she's this infant and I'm this 37 year old woman. <laughs> and now when we were in the NICU, it was suddenly like I was inside her pregnancy because the NICU environment is about mimicking the womb as much as possible until the baby's fully developed. Our brains don't develop faster just because we come out early, right? There's this kind of weird train that the brain is on and most babies develop at a certain measured rate, you know, and they have these metrics and everything. And so just because she came out five weeks early doesn't mean that she was suddenly going to be advanced five weeks by any means. So they keep them in this environment. And so I went from postpartum recovery with, you know, I was like cut open and having my own healing journey. And now I'm suddenly living in the NICU with my daughter. And like, there's this roving, uh, group of doctors coming by every morning rounding and they have these things called cows, computers on wheels. So these like (laughs) doctors come through and it's like this placenta this determining nutritional needs and all of this. And so it's like, they were just kind of like this moving pl- placenta every day, like sort of saying, okay, she needs this vitamin and she needs this much formula and she needs these many feedings. And what's, how much did her diapers weigh and blah, da. Blah. And so it's like, you can see this group of doctors and specialists being the placenta. And like, here we were just suspended in this amniotic sack of the NICU with these nurses coming through and just this strange environment. And I was like, oh my God, I'm inside my own pregnancy. Right. <laughs> and then we get discharged and while this is all happening, I'm like, I have to actually go and finish my working on the exact conjunction. And here I am, like, you know, in this hospital scenario. And thankfully we did get discharged a few days before the exactitude of the conjunction. And I was able to come and finish where I had been, you know, letting the oil incubate for a while. Um and that's another thing too, in terms of the work that the talismans that I'm making with the oils, is that it's a dynamic process. It's not sort of a okay. January 11th is the conjunction. Let's like, make sure we're there on that day in the very special hour. And then boom, it's more like, um, the very first, uh, oil, no, it was it oil. Yes. It was the peace oil, um, was an experiment in what is like, I'm thinking of calling dynamic talismans because I started it in a martial timing with really, um, day Mars and then Mars hour during the day. And that was a Tuesday. And then I, took the water bath of the herbs and the oil all the way through to a Friday in the night hour of Venus. And so it was almost like this energetics of the oil going from a situation that's super hot and awful and taking it to a peaceful place and finishing the work on the peaceful moment, right? So I was incubating this, you know, manifestation oil with the trinitite in it for months before I actually said, okay, now with the exactitude of the conjunction, that's when I'm stopping, and I'm making sure that is the moment that captures the finishing of this. It's like that's when it gets born in its final form. So that's when I added the indigo and that's when I sort of, you know, made sure the final like steps were put on it. Um, so it's a very dynamic process because, you know, unlike scholastic image magic where you etch an image into a copper thing. Yeah, you can do that in 45 minutes during one planetary hour in a very specific lunar election. But, you know, with oils and plant magic, these things take time. You know, it's not something that just happens in an instant. And so that instant gratification element, I think, is um, not going to be compatible with doing strong work with different oils and, and spagyrics and things of that nature. I think it's very much about understanding the dynamics of the process and going from, you know, just thinking about it hermetically and logically, like okay, I have a hot situation. I need to make it cool. How am I going to achieve that? You know, I have a Jupiter, I have a Saturn situation. I want to make it more like Jupiter. Let's do that. You know, I had a private client who contracted me to make a Saturn to Jupiter oil because they wanted to have that energetics of turning Saturnian things into Jupiterian things. So we did that. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the the smash of all of it, and uh, <laughs> and my amazing uh, <laughs> birth and survival story. <laughs> Yeah, that's wild. What else what else can you just say really quickly about being a new mom as an astrologer? Oh man, Having a C-section and, you know, cause they, it's all surgical, right? So they like put you in there and you can see in the day you're like, okay, which hour do I want to have it happen in? And they go, Oh yeah, it's really quick. 15, 20 minutes, you know, you but, know, but from when they give you the epidural to when you actually get cut open and the baby's out. Right. So I'm like, Oh cool. Okay. Now I can like figure out what rising I wanted to have. Cause I had no choice in the matter. It was sort of, it wasn't an emergency C-section, but it did need to happen now. Yeah. So we were, um, given this day and it was the day of the solstice and I was looking at the stars and I'm like, okay, well let's do it at 10 AM and not 9 AM. Okay. And then, as things progressed, there was a delay and then someone didn't come in the room on time. And so that was another delay. And then I had a like slight faint reaction to the shot. So they were like, okay, waiting for my blood pressure to go back to normal so they could actually give me a shot. And so it's like all these little things stacked up. So I'm like, man, I wish I'd picked that 9am instead of the 10am. Um, but you know, as things shook out, she, she came when she needed to come, you know, so it was feeling that powerlessness over, even if you have a planned C-section, you have no control over it. And, uh, and then you get what you get. And and then there's this like, you know, you don't necessarily want to look too much because my colleague Achyuta Baba Dasa, he has two children and he has this very powerful message about, um, no, look at the chart for a year until you get to know the kid and you kind of feel like who they are and whatever. Um, I didn't do that. I definitely looked. And I found that <laughs> having that knowledge gave me a lot of strength while in the NICU because I was able to speak to her through her chart. So Whether or not she could understand anything I was saying, I was approaching her with the energies of like, well, how would I speak to someone who has that in their chart, you know, and I was able to kind of connect with her in this way. And she seemed to respond to it for, you know, whatever spiritual woo is out there. Um, Knowing that about her and kind of getting a sense of what her temperament already would be was putting me at ease and trying to parent her through that difficult experience. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Even now, just knowing like how she likes to laze around and her own little vibe, it's like, oh, I can completely see how that's part of her vibe. And I'm not trying to like expect anything different from her in a certain sense and like, you know, make her, you know, not necessarily express what she's expressing. Like it's sort of like it just gives me an understanding. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. That's what that is. Nice. Um, If that makes sense.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No. And it sounds like it's just going to completely affect how you parent and it's an individualistic experience
1: that's so cool well the other thing that was on my mind the entire time was because the NICU is such a hermetically sealed place anything that happens there is kind of a trackable and measurable. That's why they do it, right? Because they want to make sure these babies are on track to like getting healthy. So they measure everything and, and things happen on a very regular schedule. Every three hours, they check the baby and they make sure that everything's fine. Give new diapers, feedings, etc. And so I was thinking in my secondary progressions brain, like, oh wow, four days into life, this happened. Five days into life, that happened. Oh, that was the time this nurse came in and did that thing that made her do that, you know? And so I'm thinking, like, on the one hand, I want to keep a journal and just list out, like, oh, she didn't like it when that happened. I bet when she's seven, she's going to really be upset with blah, blah, blah in her life, you know. <laughs> and then it's like, wait a minute. She's not a scientific experiment. Put that pen down. Just enjoy her, you know. <laughs> like, stop it. <laughs> so, I, and also it becomes blurry and it's kind of weird place to sort of, you know, you, last thing you want to do is write anything in the NICU. So, um, you know, it was, it was <laughs> secondary progressions were more on my mind, you know, especially her ejection when she got out at 17 days when you do a technique called zodiacal releasing which is an ancient hellenistic technique that determines um, if you release from spirit it determines like kind of your contribution and your world like the light the sort of spark of life that you give to something that will outlast you Mm -hmm. and 17.5 is an important number in that tradition in that technique Um, it classifies the when you have a loosing of the bond, right? So this is a moment when you pivot and you do something different than expected or than was on your prior trajectory. And I'm not going to teach the whole technique on here, but to say I noticed that 17.5 was the amount of days that she was in the NICU. So I'm thinking when she's 17 and a half... We're going to see this pivot. You know, she's going to go from one scenario to a totally different scenario because in her young life, she literally did go from one scenario to a totally different scenario at 17 and a half days. So it kind of gives some credence to what's going on with that. And also astrology helped me predict when we were going to be ejected from the NICU because the moon had not come to her fourth house until literally the day we left. And so I was like, Oh, she's not going to get to come home until the moon comes home to her fourth house cusp. And it, that was that exact hour that we got let out. So I was like, Oh honey, I think we're going to go home on January. whatnot," And he's like, okay, we'll see. And it didn't look like it was going to happen. And suddenly in like two days, she just started beating like crazy and they started loving the metrics and they were like, all right, you guys are going home. And I'm just like, I can't (laughs) believe it's real. (laughs) It's like working. So that felt, that felt pretty cool to do. Um, just to see. So, and that wasn't the technique anyone had taught me. I just looked at the chart and I'm like, I bet she'll come home when the moon hits the fourth house, you know, <laughs> just looking at the reading. So.
0: I love anyway. that. I love that you had to remind yourself to just enjoy her because you have such a scientific mind. So of course you want to long and learn everything that you can. That's yeah. Cute.
1: Well, I mean, I also had a, a, a experience with a friend whose mom did keep metrics like that. And this was just a Virgo mom and her baby, right? So my friend is like, my Virgo mom, I found this thing. I'm horrified. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that is horrifying. Like your mom was studying you and like all you wanted to do was eat and be a baby. And like, you know, she's got this whole record of like she cried and then she peed and then she cried again and like da-da-da. and then, Just imagine coming across that as an adult, you know, and it's like, whoa, mom, what were you doing? gosh (laughs) yeah that's exactly where I went actually yeah right so I did not do that
0: (laughs) well just to switch topics really quickly um, I really love your use of the word multiplicity in regards to astrology and various other occult practices because each practice has so much more complex depths than what the spiritual community sort of tends to blanket everything together as or people sort of associate. So what are
1: your thoughts on this? So this was an outgrowth of my, my Saturn Pluto determination to make sure the university systems incorporate occult subjects back into the curriculum, right? So yes. when I coming up, I was like, I really, really angry. I found out at 15 when I started learning astrology that you couldn't study astrology in college, and I'm like, this is a, this is crazy. This is an amazing cultural heritage. It belongs to everyone. It's been around forever. We need to study it, right? And I'm thinking in terms of singular astrology, capital A da, right? Mm-hmm. And so everything I do is oriented towards making sure I fit astrology into whatever class I'm in. So any class I took, I found a way to talk about astrology, much to the annoyance of any teacher I've ever had, (laughs) including all of my people at Berkeley when I was in grad school. And um, they reluctantly, finally, I broke them down and they let me write about astrology in my PhD thesis um, because I wanted to integrate it. I wanted to bring it through. And so um, then here I go after my PhD's over. I, in my dogged determinism, decide I need a master's degree in astrology because I want that degree that says MA in Cultural Astronomy and Astrology. So the only place in the world I could go at that time to get a legitimate degree in English um, was in the University of Wales, Trinity, St. David. So I start going there. And this was part of the totalizing of the Saturn-Pluto, right? Like I have to do it all completely. So I didn't get out of school until I was 32. Um, but we're, in the course of being in that program, they, Liz Green and Nick Campion had a conference called Astrology's Plurality and Diversity. And that conference was exploring how what we call astrology is a singular noun, and it makes it sound like the practice of looking at the stars and creating meaning from the sky is one activity. And what the exploration was, and and this is now infused in many aspects of their program in general, so I highly recommend going there if you're interested in learning about the history of astrology, because you really get a sense of the robustness of the cultural specificity of human beings looking at the sky. Yes, making meaning from looking at the stars is one thing, and we can call that astrology if it creates quality of human for human life and, and the way that we measure the quality of our time. But the mathematics inherent in each culture and the ways that they choose which data points they want to look at are so different, we actually have to speak about a multiplicity of astrologies. So, you know, Hellenistic astrology is one kind. As it it evolves and becomes something that the medievals pick up, they pick certain things up, they drop things away, they develop their own perspective on other things, then it becomes a different variety of astrology that doesn't need to be smashed down or or somehow made fun of or, or distilled back to some original, or, you know, perfect firstborn astrology. Um, the Mayans don't need to do Hellenistic astrology. They have their own variety of looking at the sky, incorporating the sun, moon, Venus, and different mathematics. You know, so it's like every single culture that's developed an astrology... Um, has, has, well, let me rephrase that. Every single culture has developed an astrology. Sometimes there's continuity in tradition from, let's say, Hellenistic Greece to today. Other times there's not continuity. And I think that it's important to recognize that there are multiple varieties and different cultures taking place in looking at this. And we can extend that to other practices like alchemy there's not one kind of alchemy human beings have engaged with the world in a hermetic way um, you know and we i could call it hermetic that's even a little colonialist but you know we've looked at the world and created transformational practices they don't all lead to the same root different roots are possible to sprout different things and so just recognizing that that is true and understanding okay I'm an astrologer, but here's my tradition and here are my teachers. i not saying I do astrology with a capital A. Yeah, well, what kind? Who did you learn from? What's that tradition? You know, and kind of being a little more aware of the multiplicity in terms of, you know, I can cover this, field, this little corner of astrology, but I'm not going to be able to do all astrologies for all time. Um, I don't think anyone could. And uh, just knowing that and being aware of it um, prevents us from saying things like, well, Saturn is about... Um, you know this and then it's like well in a different tradition Saturns about that you know like and it's okay in some traditions the moon is feminine and others it's masculine and you don't need to smash them down and make one be the true one you know um anyway so that's kind of I can go on about that for like years <laughs> so
0: well we were discussing before the anxiety of influence and even I admittedly have I've become aff- afflicted um, so what's your advice and your thoughts on this when working on one's magical and astrological practice?
1: So yeah, anxiety of influence is, it's like being afraid to take up space or being anxious about taking up space and being seen. And also the next level of that, which is when you are seen, being responsible now to a group of people that's Watching you and seeing what you do, so it's kind of like this weird shift, like a double double double-edged sword, right? So, first it's like being new and curious and scared to step into it, and then once you do and you start getting that mantle of authority, how are you going to exercise that authority responsibly, given that other people are now watching you? Um, And I don't have any good answers necessarily, but it's definitely something I've been thinking about a lot because I would love to see people empowered to. Do astrology and and do it in a professional way that is mindful of um, their own sovereignty and the sovereignty of others, and also doing alchemy and tarot and all these occult practices, like getting into the magical world and trying things out that are, I think, relevant to the individual and reverent to a certain strand of teaching. Um, we, I absolutely do believe in having a mentor on all of these things and verbal transmission and experiential transmission is very important. Um, whether it's taking an online class or being in person with an alchemy workshop or a tarot workshop, but I think, um, trusting one's gut and getting started and, and listening to that little internal voice and kind of not stifling the thing, you know, that's yours. You know, there's something that calls you to this work whatever it might be, whether it's cards or dice or, or plant magic or what, what have you. And so like honoring that little voice that wants to grow and finding responsible teachers to let that grow. And then just being mindful, I think, and and aware of uh, the others and what students need and, and what clients need and just kind of having that. I mean, I'm speaking as someone with a Libra stellium, so I'm like sensitivity to the, to the field, but yeah, I think that, um, not, not, Staying frozen because someone else can do it better, you know, kind of using that inspiration and then kind of allowing yourself to blossom and figuring out what you need to be able to let yourself grow. And, um, and t- you know, for all of these practices, I think as you're learning, try learning from many different people for a while and yeah. then slowly you'll figure out what your little corner is and what's true for you. Um, in terms of which variety of tarot or which variety of, of astrology you want to do. Or, or that, you know, there's a technique here that I like and there's one there I like. And now this is kind of what I use in my little package when c- people come to see me. And then the second half of the anxiety of having influence is, is a little bit easy because then you realize, oh, well, this is now just I'm transmitting myself and the way that I see the world. And so people will then come to you to learn it from your vantage point. And you've established that vantage point because you've been like a bee with a bunch of flowers and you've got your pollen and you're like, okay, I got that flower and this one and this one. And now I have my own version of honey. And then they come in there like, we want your honey, honey, you know? And you're like, okay. (laughs) Um, But without that, you're just going to replicate what the one teacher you've had does or the one thing that you've studied and say, I do astrology. And it's like, no, you read a book by one author, you know, like let's robustly go about, you know, rounding that out. And, and then you kind of see like, Oh, this is where I fit in a, in a set of traditions, right. To keep it multiplicity in a set of traditions that pre-exist me. So where do I have a seat at the table and then take that seat, right? Don't not take that seat just because other people are sitting at the table, take up space, but it's about being mindful of like how that shifts the field a little bit and then allow people who come to you to also realize when they come to sit at the table too, it's going to shift things, you know, and invite them in, but also help bring them on board with what's available.
0: Yes. And you yourself, you have some classes coming up and we will, we're definitely going to talk about all of those. Yeah. Uh, But your website um, I know that
1: right now you're trying to catch up on Readings. Yeah, I actually am just now um, today finishing my last catch up on the the consults I couldn't do when I was in the hospital. So that's rounding out now. Um, so people can book you then for readings and are your oils also available on your
0: website? Yes, they are. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. So I'll put that information in the show notes.
1: So you have a lot of stuff coming up class wise. Do you want to <laughs> so yeah, so last year I was teaching the second version of my intensive astrology fundamentals, which is a 14 to 6 week 16 week class about basically learning traditional astrology and it's a really big <laughs> investment of time and energy because I'm taking you from zero to 60 in 16 weeks. And so I created a course portal outside of Facebook because I didn't like Facebook being able to see people's private conversations about sensitive information like chart data or, you know, experiences that happen that, you know, anytime you're reading charts, like a lot of sensitive stuff comes up. So I have a mighty network, which I've called the catapult portal or the catapult zone. And that is, off of Facebook, and my students have started to gather there. And so that's where people can watch the replays of class videos and things like that. And I'm expanding that now to incorporate other teachers. So I have um, Thea Wershing talking about American occultism. Chaywon um, just had an interview with her about that on um, is and wine. And Dr. Al Cummins is going to be teaching about planetary magic. And I've got KJ Sassy Pants, aka Karen Hawkwood, talking about Saturn. She's going to be teaching a class on Venus. And so I'm kind of drawing in, I'm going to have probably Becca Tarnas come on. We had a class planned for earlier, but the medical situation kind of shifted the curriculum for the year. Catamara Rosarium of Rosarium Blends is going to be talking about incense and various facets of her esoteric herbalism. So we have a kind of expanding menu of people basically just teaching amazing things that are uh, not necessarily taught in the academic world. So I've sort of shifted my goal of caring about whether the academy incorporates these subjects and kind of just going for it anyway, offside and just having that playful exploration in a non Facebook space. So when you sign up for a class, you basically get the Zoom class experience. It feels, I try as much as possible to make it like a seminar, like we're sitting face to face. And then After that's over, there's this social portal where you can talk about the class material and you're a permanent member of it when you register for any class. And then you can kind of take whatever classes you feel like taking and, you know, it goes from there. So I'm kind of intending for the catapult to be more of a community of people who are interested in these types of subjects who can, you know, kind of continue after the class is over as if it were like an on-campus experience you know when you go to school you have four years of hanging out with the same people talking about the stuff you love so I'm sort of creating that in a digital format without the need for credentials or grades or authority you know there's nothing there yes So the whole thing is digital though yeah 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 (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And I I will teach a few in-person classes in the Seattle area, but that's less interesting. <laughs> so because I'm sure your listeners are all around the world and they can come to the catapult and do whatever they need. And, <laughs> and it's not just going to be esoteric either. Like I did teach a class or I, I didn't actually run because of the medical stuff, but how to be awesome. Right. So it's like just random stuff. The catapult is the sort of like metaphor for it. Like, how do I launch something into amazingness, you know? So, um, and magic and astrology and all these other types of practices are, are really powerful tools for that, but they're not the only way to talk about that. So, um, another friend of mine, Fabeku Fatunmi is going to be talking about a sort of visual-based divination method called Oracle Activate in May, and that's going to be a really fun class too. So um, a lot of interesting stuff coming up with that. I'm teaching about elemental voids in astrology on February 29th in the catapult, and it's going to be basically discussing what happens when there's a lack of planets in an element in your chart. So like when people say, I don't have any earth planets in my chart, so I need to work on earth, right? And that might be true and it might not be true. So, the class is exploring what happens when you have a void in a chart and how can you help someone understand what that means and give them good advice for their life. Right. So, yeah. Uh, oh, and you're also speaking
0: at uh, a huge astrology conference.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, NORWAC is the Northwest Astrology Conference. It's been going on for 32 years now. Apparently, it's sold out this year. And, yes. Uh, yeah, I just found that out. And uh, I will be talking about astrolocality. And I would say that actually when people come to see me for consultations, most of the time it actually is for location astrology. And we spend time looking at the chart mapped onto the world and figuring out how to optimize what they'd like to achieve in their life and their sort of, you know, goals, looking at the earth and seeing how their chart interfaces with the actual geography of the world. Is there a a term for that, like, card? card? Yeah, that's a funny story. So Jim (laughs) Lewis came up with a map. He, like, sort of designed a look of this map of putting a chart onto the world and two-dimensional depiction of a three-dimensional phenomenon and he called it astro cartography and he yes. had it trademarked, and he, and the trademark is now expired so we're all allowed to use it now um, but he had sort of astro asterisk carto asterisk or whatever and it was just like oh gosh really and so I just and then a different astrologer in the 70s Michael Earlywine came up with local space lines which is his fusion of feng shui and astrology right and so i look at both of these sets of lines together and at the beginning of a consult i'll actually throw all of the lines up on the world at once and there's a setting in my software called garish colors for the countries of the world so you see these like horrible neon colors of every country just like screaming and it's just this like what am i looking at and i'm like don't worry this is everything all at once we're going to go over it slowly um but yeah so you know Locational astrology is what I prefer because I think that it avoids the confusion of astro cartography or even local space lines.
0: Oh, noted. Thank you so much for explaining that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, there's like it's you look at them and it's like noodles, you know, and you're like, what am I supposed to do with this? And, you know, my favorite way of conceptualizing it. And the first thing I say is, you know, if you're just looking at astrocartography lines, um, you're looking at a depiction of your chart if you were born everywhere in the world all at once, simultaneously. Right. So it's like every possible relocated chart is visually depicted there. And if you know how to read the map, you can kind of look and see, oh, if I went there, then that's what my chart would look like. And if I went there, that's what it would look like. So you're able to make informed decisions about your relocation based off of one picture. That
0: is so cool. Well, thank you so much, Jen. We're going to wrap it up here. Um, Thank you for making time for us with the new baby and everything. It's been so much
1: fun having you on. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful
0: yeah
1: stay mystic witches that
0: was awesome be sure to subscribe to mystic witch on any of your favorite platforms and you can show your support by contributing monthly at anchor.fm or on our patreon page follow us on social media to hear exclusive audio clips from our guests at mystic witch podcast